Welcome to Thompson Hines Environmental Laws Podcast. Laws stands for land, air, water, and safety. In our podcast episodes, we cover current topics in environmental health and safety laws in the United States and beyond from the perspective of Thompson Hine attorneys, the regulated community, regulators, and our special guests. My name is Andy Colasar, and I'm a partner in Thompson Hines Environmental Practice Group residing in the firm's Cincinnati, Ohio office. Today, I'm joined by Mike Barlow, an old friend and colleague from the UK law firm Burgess Salmon. Mike is a partner in the firm's Bristol office. Mike is the head of Burgess Salmon's energy and utility sector group and leads the cross-firm water team. He is both a litigator, or what I think you call an advocate, and also counsels on a variety of environmental and energy topics. Mike, welcome to the podcast. I hope you and your colleagues and your families have stayed well during the pandemic. I'd be interested in hearing how you and your colleagues are managing your practices during the pandemic. But before we hit that topic and get into the meat of this podcast, Please tell us a little bit more about yourself and Burgess Salmon and your environmental group. Uh, well, f- first of all, thank you, Andy, for inviting me to, to come and speak on this podcast. I'm delighted to, to be here. Um, and can I also say how much I like your acronym of LAWS? Um, I'm sure you've trademarked that. Otherwise, we might, um, we might borrow it. Um, <laughs> But just tell you a little bit about our, our practice. As you said, I'm based in the uh, in the Bristol office. Um, Burgess Salmon uh, has three offices in, in the UK. Uh, we have the, the Bristol office, which is our main office. We have an office in London and a recent office that we've opened in, in Edinburgh. Um, the environment team um, is uh, comprises four, t- four partners uh, and 15 lawyers in, in total. Um, and that makes us one of the largest uh, environment practices in, in the country, if, if not the largest. Um, and we cover a wide spectrum of environmental work um, from advising on compliance, as you mentioned, um, litigation, so both civil disputes and regulatory disputes, which often in our jurisdiction are, are criminal. Um, so we will, we will do uh, criminal defence work. Um, and transactional support, both real estate and, and corporate transactions. And then increasingly, uh, our work sort of strays over into, into product stewardship um, and, and managing these sort of environmental um, consequences of, of, of products. You know, we, um, we, we go along, go back a long way with um, the relationship between Thompson Hine and Burgess Salmon. And and, and particularly with respect to our uh, respective groups. Um, and, and we've certainly enjoyed working with you and, and, and your colleagues over the years. Well, likewise. So um, before we, we talk about some of the hot environmental law issues in the UK, um, how are things in the UK? Or is life getting back to normal? generally and uh, with respect to the firm? Um, it, it's an interesting time at the moment, Andy. Um, 
the, the, the government, I mean, we, we had our first lockdown in, in March last year, um, and we've been sort of uh, in various stages of, of lockdown or various restrictions ever since then. Um, we went into another sort of fairly full lockdown uh, on the 4th of January this year, um, and, and then the government announced in February a sort of four-stage process for coming out of restrictions. Um, and on the 19th of July, um, it was announced that it was called Freedom Day. Effectively, that was broadly the end of all restrictions. So we're not required to wear masks anymore. Um, everybody can go back to the office, can meet inside um, and do what they like. In terms of the firm, I mean, we've, we, we mobilised and worked from home very early on um, and during the sort of lockdown period we had uh, instructions that you know we could go in if we needed to um, but you needed line manager authority since freedom day we've changed slightly to anybody can go in but we're just managing managing the numbers for a transitional period with a view I think to in September going back to some form of normality which I don't think will be the same as it was before I think there'll be an expectation that maybe we're in 60% of the time, but uh, I think we'll, we'll have to sort of play that by ear a little. Yeah, I think that all law firms and businesses in general are wrestling with, uh, you know, how do we get back to um, the way things were? And 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 I agree with you. I, I, I don't think they will be the same, uh, but we'll, we'll adjust and um, figure it out. Mike, um, I'd like to ask you about some of the hot topics that you and your clients are, are dealing with in the UK. Let's start with the obvious choice, uh, Brexit. Um, what's the status generally in the UK's exit from the EU? Um well, I think you're, you're, you're right, Andy, that Brexit is the, the biggest issue at the moment. Um, it also is quite complex. Um, so I'll, I'll just try and back up a little bit um, but so that I can, I can go into some of the topics in a little bit more detail. So I, sure. I don't know how much your, your listeners will know, but Brexit's obviously the UK leaving the, the EU, uh, the European Union, um, the European Union is effectively a supranational club. It's a single market. And so within that market, there are four freedoms. So freedom of uh, goods, freedom of services, freedom of capital and freedom of people. And that means there's an effective border around the edge. And within that border, within that market, there are um, equivalent regulatory uh, standards and there's no, no customs or trade, trade barriers. So um, we, as the UK, have come out of that. And there's some wrinkles on that, which I can, I can come on to. Um, but uh, so we came out officially uh, on uh, the 31st of January 2020. And then for a year till um, the 1st of January this year, we were uh, what well, was effectively what was called an implementation period where we were still subject to the EU laws and rules, but we weren't in the EU. Um, and so from 1st of January this year, we have been completely separate, no longer subject to, to, to EU rules. So that's, 
that's where we are currently. And, and I'm sure that we could go into greater depth uh, in the big picture, but let's, let's focus down on environmental. Um, what, what's happened so far regarding environmental regulations and, and what can we expect in the near future? So um, EU legislation really falls into two parts. One's, one's called regulations with a, with a capital R, and that's law that applies across the whole of the, of the EU without any implementation in the member states. So an example of that would be um, REACH, which is the chemicals regulation, which I think we're going to come on to talk about. And then there's what's called directives, um, which are an instruction to member states to implement law. And so that is then implemented in, in the member states. And then, of course, you have, you have case law. So what the UK has done has said, as at uh, when we came out of the EU, all of that EU body of law, the regulations and the case law would continue to apply in the UK. So regulations, uh, UK regulations be put in place to, to enforce that. Where there'd already been an instruction to the UK to implement it, those laws still applied. Now, there's been a massive exercise in going through all of that law um, and um, copying and pasting it where necessary um, from, from the EU law into UK law um, and making necessary changes. So there may be references in them to going to the um, uh, European Court of Justice. That needed to be changed. So there's been amending regulations and, and, and uh, as I say, hundreds and thousands of new pieces of legislation which have been going through. So a, a really complicated exercise. In the field of environmental law, about 85% of our environmental law came through that process, was, came from the EU uh, originally. So whilst initially, uh, in, in one sense, there is no change, uh, there's, in fact, a lot of change, if you see what I mean. So in this country, and, and I don't want to um, sort of incorrectly equate um, our federal system and our state system with the EU and the member state system, uh, but here uh, the states can um, be more stringent than the federal regulations, but they can't be less stringent. Um, so how was that in the in the when you were in the EU and, and what will that mean now that you're, you're out? Well, the, 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 the key issue is, um, uh, and there's lots of different ways in which you could do Brexit. You could um, um, agree with the EU regulatory equivalents or whatever, because as, as I went back, as I, as I started, it's a, it's, it's a sort of supranational state in its, in its own right. So the, the friction between the UK and the EU could be dealt with in all sorts of different ways, um, and you could have more or less of it. What the UK government has decided to do is, is to completely divorce. Um, and so as part of the uh, exit arrangements, we, we entered into a treaty, an international treaty called the Trade and Cooperation Agreement, um, which came into force, as I said, at the, at the beginning of this year. 
and there are provisions in there um, uh, called the level playing field provisions, which which are important in terms of of, of environmental law, um, because the 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 agreement says that the parties um, shan't shall not weaken or reduce environmental or climate protections, um, but um, only as far as where that weakening would affect trade and investment. So certainly the the intention of the government is to diverge because the argument being there's no point in doing Brexit unless you're going to diverge. Um, but there are mechanisms where the EU can hold the UK and, and vice versa. Um, uh, if, if, if by reducing standards, uh, that affects trade and investment. And, and the rhetoric from the government is, is that we want to be a world-beating um, uh, state for, for environmental law. So there isn't an intention to do that, is, is the rhetoric. So what a lot, most of our companies or all of our companies and clients want is certainty. Um, what, what can you say to companies that do business in the UK um, with respect to um, what they will see in, in the near future and, and what they should be doing to, to prepare? I think we'd all, we'd all love some certainty. Um, we, <laughs> we in the UK have been dealing with um, massive uncertainty for, for five years since, since the Brexit vote went through. Um, I think in the short term, that hasn't changed. Um, there are some um, some concrete changes that have gone through, which we can we can talk about. There's some legislation which is which is going through the Environment Bill, which is nearly nearly through, um, and that will give a little bit more certainty. But I think I think the message for for those uh, doing business in the UK is is it is it is a little bit uncertain, if I'm honest, um, and it needs to be watched quite carefully. Um, and you can't make an assumption that things are going to be the same as they are in the EU. Um, we're starting from that position, but but um, you know, day by day, week by week, that's going to that's going to change. Well, it's a good segue, I think, to the next topic of chemical regulation. You mentioned reach um, a couple minutes ago. Um, could you, just for the benefit of our listeners, briefly describe the REACH program? And, 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 and I know we could have a whole session on, on REACH. And, and then tell us a little bit about what will be in place as a result of Brexit. Right. I, I'll, I'll try and do this in a, in a, in a, in a sort of high-level overview. But REACH is, is, is the EU, originally the EU chemicals regulation. So it's, it's, it's your equivalent to, or our equivalent of your TOSCA, I think. It works in a different way, but it's intended right. to, to cover the same, same issues. Um, and REACH stands for Registration, Evaluation and Authorization of, of Chemicals. Um, and the EU regulations have been in place since 2006. So they've been running for a quite a long time time and there's been a 10-year period over which anybody wanting to put um, products on the market in the EU needed to register those products with a with a dossier about the, the, the chemicals that are, are in them and that exercise came to the end in, in in 2018 and so 
the EU is going through a process of authorising those chemicals, possibly putting on restrictions on their use and, and so forth. And they've published a, a chemical strategy for sustainability, because the, the intention being to try and um, uh, re replace the chemicals with, with um, more sustainable ones. So that's, that's the process that's been going on in the EU and, and continues. Um, there was some talk during the Brexit debate as to whether the UK would get uh, associate status and just continue with the EU reach. But, but as I said, government has throughout taken the sort of hardest possible stance and said, no, we want to do our own thing. Um, so what that has meant is that we now have a separate regime in the UK. Uh, it's called UK Reach. Um, uh, um, not very inspired name, but um, the, 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 there is a little bit of a wrinkle here, which I, I just need to mention before I go on, which is that um, uh, when I went at the start, I talked about the board around the, what was the 28 states of the EU. We've obviously come out. There was a big debate about where do you put the border between the EU and the UK? Um, that sounds more simple than it was in practice because um, what you couldn't do or, or what was put a border between Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland because of the Good Friday peace agreement, which said there should be no hard border between the two. And so uh, that was a debate for many years. And then in the end, what has happened is that the borders has effectively been put down the Irish Sea um, between uh, Great Britain and Northern Ireland. And what that means is that Northern Ireland is actually still in the EU for the purposes of reach. <laughs> um, so that's an added bit of complexity there. But so if we're looking at UK reach, which actually only applies to, to Great Britain, currently the process is similar. You need to register um, and then uh, be authorised and so on. Um, but there are two really distinct processes now. So if... Uh, uh, you know, any of your clients or, or listeners is doing business in the EU and the UK, they will need to have two separate registrations. If previously they were registered in the UK, which would give access to the EU market, they will need to look at that registration because it won't give them the ability to um, uh, put their products on the market in the EU if they were, if they were registered in the UK before. Um, and so there's a, there's a sort of transitional phase in the UK where the registrations need to go in and then there are a, a period of time to, to, to get the dossiers of information across. Um, in practical terms, it was hoped that the dossiers could just be grandfathered across, but that, that hasn't happened. So you do need to do two separate complete registrations. Okay, well, uh, thank you for boiling that down uh, in, a, in a concise manner. If it's okay, I'd like to ask you about the environment bill. Um, first, what, what is the status of the deliberations of the environment bill? Um, so the, the, the environment bill is a piece of legislation which is uh, intended to be a once in a generation piece of legislation on the environment. Um, and it's been a long time coming. It was originally um, proposed in 2018. It's had two um, big hiatuses. 
um, uh, it was meant to because it because it contains provisions that are intended to deal with um, uh, the governance gap coming out of the EU. It was meant to be enforced before we came out in 2020, um, and it and it and it wasn't. Um, it obviously wasn't enforced either before um, 2021. <laughs> um, it is now going through Parliament. It is at what we call the committee stage in the House of Lords, which is one of the last stages that it that it goes through. It will then need to go back to the House of Commons. Um, and we are expecting, although I said exactly the same thing last year, we're expecting it to be in force in the autumn. And, you know, by U.S. standards, I don't know that that bill has been pending for a long time. <laughs> if, you, if you think about our infrastructure bill, for example, uh, that's gone on for, for numerous administrations. Um, so, so what can we expect in the bill? Can you give us a, a brief overview? Yeah, so it, it does a number of things. Um, as I say, it started life back in 2018 um, and was intended to, to deal with just some environmental issues. Um, and one of the things it does is require the government to put some environmental targets in place. Um, which must be targets for a sort of 15-year period. Um, and they're in, in the priority areas, so targets for air quality, water, biodiversity, and waste. Um, and then there's provisions about reporting back in relation to progress against those targets. So that's, that's the first thing. The second thing is it requires the government to prepare what's called an environmental improvement plan, again, which uh, has to be for a period of over 15 years, um, and again, come back and report to Parliament on progress against that um, environmental improvement plan. Now, coincidentally, the government had put out in 2018 um, what was called their 25-year environment plan, um, and that is the first of these environmental improvement plans. So that's been out for a while anyway, um, but, but that now has a more formal status within, within the bill. Um, and there are various other parts um, in relation to specific issues. REACH would be one. So it gives the government the power to change how REACH operates within the UK. And then there's provisions in relation to water and air quality and, and, and so on. And then Probably the, the most interesting piece, um, well, I mean, that's all interesting, but, but there is another piece um, which um, provides for a new Office of Environmental Protection uh, to be put in place. So um, before we get to the, the new office, um, you mentioned the environmental targets. Um, so so what, what do, you, do you anticipate then that that's going to result in more stringent control requirements as well as maybe some cap and trade um, programs? Um, in, in terms of the more stringent requirements, um, as I said, the, re the rhetoric is that we're going to have the you know, world beating environment. This is going to be the greenest government ever uh, uh, and so forth. Um, that's the rhetoric. The delivery doesn't seem to be along those sort of lines. Um, and that what they will say is that they are trying to 
put in place more effective targets to, to, to rather than relying on the EU ones, which might be blanket and um, uh, deal with different countries differently. So it actually can do what we want it to do. So um, it's early to say what those targets are. Um, uh, if I take an example of, of air quality, there, there's a requirement to put in place a target for sort of PM25 um, emissions. Um, the, the discussion around that has been, are the government going to use the um, World Health Organization targets or not? And they say they're not definitely going to use those, but they're going to do quite a lot of research into what is an appropriate target. So I think uh, uh, this isn't going to give you the certainty that you want, but <laughs> it may or it may not. Um, but what we hope is they're smarter targets. Um, and then in relation to the cap and trade, um, obviously we were in the uh, EU emissions trading scheme. Um, we're no longer in the emissions trading scheme of the EU, but we have an, a UK emissions trading scheme, which operates in a similar way, but is a, you know, similar to REACH is an entirely different scheme now. Um, so uh, that, that still continues for the, for the time being. And is that emissions trading scheme, um, is that limited then to uh, staying with trading within uh, the UK or can you go outside of the border? I think at the moment is still within the UK. I think we're trying to link it with the with the EU because that makes that makes more sense. Um, so hopefully you can go outside the borders. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned uh, the new Office of Environmental Protection um, under is contemplated under the uh, the bill. Um, tell us a little bit about that and and how that would that office would interact with the existing environmental regulatory agencies okay well um you're probably starting to realize that all all roads lead back to brexit um the the the, the oep office for environmental protection is again part of that debate because um the european commission uh, ultimately had enforcement powers against member states in relation to um uh, legislation eu legislation and 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 a lot of uh, infraction proceedings were brought in relation to the environment, environment much more than, than, than on anything else. And there was a concern in coming out of the EU that that um, governance piece from the European Commission would be lost. Um, and so provisions were written into the Environment Bill to create this new body, which is to address what was called the governance gap. Um, and this body is intended to hold public authorities to account in relation to their environmental uh, um, uh, actions. Um, so uh, it, it's you know central government, local government, but it also goes down to companies exercising public functions. So one of the debates has been about whether water companies, for example, are captured by that. Um, and certainly the, the the new chair of the OEP says in her view they are because they provide a public function um, so they so so the OEP is going to regulate the um, public authorities the difference then uh, and this is how it's been explained to me between that and for example our environment agency 
is that the Environment Agency is going to regulate the corporates, the, 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 the actual emitters, and the OEP has the ability to regulate the Environment Agency. Interesting. So um, I know you're a lawyer and not a odds maker, um, <laughs> but um, when do you expect the environment bill to become law? Um, well, we're on we're on summer vacation now for 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 um, uh, for, for government and for parliament. Um, uh, uh, I'm I'm going to say. Uh, and this is completely finger in the air, Andy. Okay, we <laughs> won't say hold November. you to this. Let's say November. All right, we'll check back with you at, <laughs> at that time. All right, uh, let's move on. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about enforcement in the UK. Um, what we're seeing here is a significant increase in inspections as regulators make up for lost time. Uh, return to the office, and now we're coming back out to the facilities. Um, that leads to more enforcement, of course. What are you seeing in the UK? Uh, if I'm honest, I don't think that I am seeing that. Um, I mean, there's two, I, I think it will come, but there's two, two trends um, which, which has been playing against that. But the first is... Um, since the financial crisis, uh, the um, budget of the Environment Agency has been cut and cut and cut. So um, there is very little money for enforcement. Then you had the pandemic on top of that, where the regulators were not going out into the field unless it was a, a, you know, a, a really urgent issue. Um, as I say, we've only just started to come out of lockdowns with our freedom day which was which was you know a week or so ago so i haven't seen a massive increase to date i but i but like you i think that is going to is going to come but it's coming from a pretty low bar if i'm honest yeah i mean one of the things that we've been telling our clients is to um make sure that your folks are um trained on, on, on what to do with respect to the protocols when the government shows up and knocks on the door, um, be ready for it because um, it's, it's coming. What, what are some of the areas of focus um, for uh, enforcement with respect to the regulators? I think the, the, the biggest issue at, at the moment um, is in relation to, to water companies. And that's a, when I say issue politically and, 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 and legally. Um, and and um, I think you mentioned at the outset that I, I had our water practice. So, so I've been sort of heavily involved in this for a while. But it, it relates to um, com combined sewer overflows, um, which, is, as you, you will know, um, means that, you know, water companies from from uh, sewage treatment plants can discharge into rivers uh, and and the sea in times of high rainfall. Um, and having been encouraged to put those in over a, over many many years, um, I think people are starting to cotton on to that. And there's a big push, particularly post pandemic, I think, for keeping our rivers clean so people can swim in them uh, and so on, which is perfectly understandable. But but there's a big clash there at the moment. Um, and we've just seen in the last 
few weeks the largest ever fine, uh, environmental fine, um, which was of a water company for these discharges um, of £90 million, which, uh, to put into some context, the largest fine before that was £20 million, which is another water company. <laughs> um, and and you know, most fines are significantly less than that. And that was not just the discharges, but that was a show, you know, there were some deliberate cover-ups um, then, so it was, it was pretty egregious. Um, but that is becoming very political. And um, as a result of that, extra provisions have actually been written into the Environment Bill in the pretty recent past to require the government to take action in relation to CSOs and to require water companies to... Um, to report on how often they're using them. So I think that's going to be a really big issue going, going forward. Um, the, the other area of focus really is, is, is in relation to waste, um, which has been a, a focus for, for, for a while with the Environment Agency. And they set up last year um, what's called the Joint Unit for Waste Crime, um, which is a, a sort of multidisciplinary um, body with the with the police and the environmental regulators and uh, and so on and they're very keen to say that the pandemic didn't stop them with their enforcement so that's that i imagine is going to is going to continue right uh, the last topic uh, that i wanted to get into is um, another one that um, is is an obvious environmental issue these days climate change um, I understand that the, the UK, ha, it, you know, has announced uh, an effort to become net zero with respect to carbon emissions. First of all, what does it mean to be net zero? Um, well, I think it's quite interesting, this, um, because this isn't a policy announcement. Uh, this is a piece of legislation which requires the government to be net zero uh, by 2050. Okay. Um, and um, uh, it actually comes back from a 2008 piece of legislation called the Climate Change Act, which put a, um, a target to be for, for the whole of the UK's uh, uh, greenhouse gas emissions to be 80% of what they were in 1990. And then in 2019, that bit of legislation was changed to be 100%, uh, um, uh, you know, 100% rebate on emissions from 1990 levels. So it's effectively going back to where we were at 1990 levels. So that's, that's, that's what net zero means. Okay. But then that whole act put a framework in place as to how you, how you try and achieve that and measure it. So um, I understand there's a committee on climate change and, and what's their role? Well, that, that's, that's the committee that was set up as part of that piece of legislation. And it, and it has um, uh, a, a number of roles. One, one of it is to, so, um, is to set out in a series of five yearly budgets. Um, if, you, you know, if you're going to get to this target, what have you got to do in five-year periods? Um, and those budgets get um, uh, produced by the Committee on Climate Change and they get approved by Parliament and then they get measured against. So 
the um, the latest carbon budget is for 2032 to 2037, which has just been approved. Um, uh, but that's obviously not where we are now. So that's one of their roles. And then the other role is for them, they advise government on how you might get there. So uh, they uh, had a role in, before the target was changed to be net zero, they produced a big report, which said, is it feasible to get to net zero by 2050 and, and how you would do it? Um, so that's, that's the second part of their role um, to, to, um, to advise government. And how will they do it? <laughs> that's the that's the million dollar question isn't it right i think i think um the interesting thing i think about this is that and, and what the committee on climate change say is it's perfectly possible to do with the current technology that we have but you need a huge amount of political will and you need um all sectors to work together and it's going to have an impact on everyone um what we've got is um Obviously, we're 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 um, chairing COP26 in less than a hundred days, I think. Um, and there's a lot of strategies that are being published as to how we'll do it. So those strategies aren't out yet. We've got one on decarbonisation, tran decarbonising transport. But we're expecting one on decarbonising heat, a heat strategy, and one on a hydrogen strategy, and actually a net zero strategy. So early days in in delivery. But what we do know and what government has said they want to do is a huge amount of offshore wind um, for, for electricity, um, generating five gigawatts of hydrogen, um, doing uh, a lot with nuclear, um, obviously electric vehicles. Uh, and so that's been announced, the phase out of that. Um, a lot on um our buildings and trying to make the buildings more energy efficient, um, and uh, and how we're going to heat them, and then and then around carbon carbon capture. Um, so that's th those are the sort of key themes I like, uh, if you like. But but actually, how we do it um, has not yet been been announced. Sure. Okay. Well, um, I, I did want to just briefly hit on one additional topic, which is. Um, ESG, uh, which is on top of mind of, of many companies, um, environmental, social governance, governance programs. Uh, are you seeing UK companies giving more attention to their ESG programs? Yeah, we, we, cert we certainly are. Um, I think, obviously, the E bit, um, you know, you, you and I have seen uh, companies wanting advice on that for um, for, for, for many years. I, I, I think that the whole ESG movement has been maybe pushing those companies that weren't thinking about it um, to, to, to look at it a bit further. Um, and for, to, to my mind, the, the E bit is, is relatively well-trodden territory. Um, the G bit, the governance, is, is uh, probably easier to do. I, I think it's the, the S bit, the social bit, that maybe... Com com companies are struggling with a little bit but i think seeing it as all as a holistic package now and coming for advice yeah we're certainly seeing an increase in that is your version of our scc starting to take an interest in companies esg reporting yes uh, i mean e the, the the legal bit of esg 
uh, in, in the UK. I don't know if it's the, in the same in the in the states, but has really been targeted at the finance industry, so pension funds, um, regulated funds, where uh, certainly in relation to pensions, they're required to have an ESG policy as part of their statement of investment principles. And they are required to report against it and so on. So at that level, the law has come in. And so that has then filtered down to, 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 to companies to make themselves attractive for investment. Um, and, and the FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority, um, actually really recently, I think on the 19th of July, wrote to all authorised fund managers saying that you're putting all these products out and they're coming to us for authorization, But actually... Um, a lot of them, or, or, or at least some of them, uh, are not up to scratch because they're called an ESG fund, but they don't actually uh, invest in uh, you know, anything in relation to ESG. Um, and so they came out with some principles in relation to how you need to put those funds together. So it is starting at that level for, for, for there to be an interest yeah, with the financial regulators. All right. Well, thank you very much, Mike, for taking the time today to, uh, to talk with us about these important issues. Um, I, I hope you enjoyed uh, spending some time and responding to, to my inquiries. If there are any questions regarding the information we've discussed today, our listeners can find Mike's contact information at Burgess Salmon's website, which is www.burgess, B-U-R-G-E-S salmon, S-A-L-M-O-N.com. Did I get that right, Mike? Perfect. Okay. Is there any, any closing comments you'd like to um, share with us? I think the only comment I would make, and I think you, you sort of touched on it, Andy, is, is you know, where, where's the certainty? Um, we're, we're all craving that a little bit. And I think that uh, if, if any of your listeners are operating in the UK at the moment in, in these sort of fields, it is a time of huge change um, and it's not necessarily business as usual. And so they really do need to keep an eye on what's happening in the UK as opposed to the EU. Fair enough. Well, this concludes this episode of our Laws podcast. The Laws podcast episodes are available at iTunes, Spotify, Google, and SoundCloud. We'll have additional new episodes in the coming months, so please be on the lookout. If you have a request regarding a topic you'd like to hear addressed in a future episode, please send me or your usual Thompson Heim contact an email with your request. If you'd like to learn more about Thompson Heim's environmental group, please visit thompsonheim.com. With approximately 400 lawyers and eight offices, uh, Thompson Heim is a full service business law firm recognized for innovation and client service. This podcast is for informational purposes only. It provides general information and not legal advice or opinions regarding specific facts. You may not edit, modify, or redistribute this podcast without permission. Thanks again, Mike. I hope you and your colleagues stay healthy and have a great finish to the year. Yeah, well, thanks very much, Andy. I've, I've enjoyed it. Bye.